episode 22 of Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you didn't want the answer to. I'm Vib. And I'm Sean. And neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Before we move on, let's award the much-vaunted Expertise is Overrated Tinfoil Award. As a reminder, this is an award that we give at the start of each episode to the person who had the most ridiculous point in last week's episode. So so you're getting it this week, right? Um, No, actually. Somehow oh. you outdid did my, my, my thing, which is becoming a bit of a theme, the, the sort of foreshadowing slash prescience. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're like a pedal. big fan of like people who are not psychic being psychic, which is excellent. It's because I'm so smart that I foresee every eventuality that I assume that other people do as well. <laughs> and there's a tinfoil for next I was going to say what's your, <laughs> isn't your chest rating while better than mine still only about 600 no I think it's about eight, 900 I don't know oh, I've right. for a while actually <laughs> yes anyway um, but no it is not in fact going to me it is going to you for saying that the force is just magic it is. The Force is space magic. That's all it is. The Force is space magic, and Jedi are space wizards with swords. That's it. That is Star Wars. I've explained Star Wars to anyone who cares to listen. See, for once, you've actually managed to explain something in the time limit that we set. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've explained it wrong, I think. <laughs> uh, it's also, I remember writing down something about you saying all the magic drains out of this world. You know, it just... It just it's almost oh, like no, you haven't yes. watched the films... No, that's my... But you were saying that as well. You uh, were talking about the, the, the power bleeds that... Uh, You've got... Unfair. We had a power bleed, not the draining of magic from it's the, the world. It's the same thing. It is not... Oh, my goodness. It's the same narrative purpose as the fact that the third age of Lord of the Rings is the least magical. <sighs> well, yeah. that's not what some would say the fourth age. Yes, the fourth age is even less magical. <laughs> Because the magic is draining out see, of the world. See, what's, what's great is we've we've done we, you know we've been talking for what two minutes. I already feel my blood pressure rising. I have a condition; it's bad, <laughs> and <laughs> something tells me it's only going to rage. get worse from now on. But um, let me offload some of that rage um, as I firmly plant a tinfoil hat on your head. Fair and, um, we move Fair to enough. to some feedback. Yes, we we had. Um... On the uh, Star Wars episode, in fact, we had some feedback on our Discord server, uh, link in the description, from CT again, who had quite a lot to say, really. I won't go through all of it, because you can join the Discord server and read it for yourself. But he... Quite right. He didn't like that we both had Ben Kenobi versus Darth Vader in the top five because he's a child easily wired by flashing lights and incapable of enjoying complex narrative and themes. Um, He, to be fair to him, gave us the well-known story that the scene in Empire, the I am your father scene, the only person on set who knew that that was what was going to be said was the actor playing... um, Darth Vader, which is is, is a good fact. I it, was it though? Was wasn't it um, the voice actor whose name? So was that was my understanding. My understanding was actually that what is said on stage or in the scene by the actor in the suit was not "I'm your father," because that only gets said by James Earl Jones. The problem is, but you, you have you have to say it on set though, otherwise otherwise the, the reaction response, as in Mark yeah. Hamill's response, will not be 
yeah. sufficiently harrowing, I think. But so the, maybe 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 it was the actor at the time, yeah. and and then James Earl Jones did it as well. Oh, but, James Earl uh, Jones, that's the one, yeah. I would the um, no, the big one that he he brought up that um, he would have had as an honourable mention in his list had he been invited to make one, which he was not, uh, would have been the. Well, I'm I'm really starting harsh today. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> it's not going to get better. Would have been the Ray versus Kylo Ren fight on Kijimi in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, it's not a massive fight, but it's fought over Force Skype, and you get more uh, reveals about Ray's past of being a no one and Palpatine having had her parents murdered. And he reckons it's a pretty good scene, and it's not bad. I guess it's not. It's not awful. Now, don't be disingenuous. I, I have what to was dis- what was what was the reply to that particular comment? Oh, uh, shame! Rise <laughs> of Skywalker is an unmitigatable pile of shit. Really. Um, and then that that set off a bit of an argument. Uh, of course, uh, this is the, this is a never ending argument. I think. <laughs> but um, his he he where was his thing? He he says he's got a strong dislike of the original trilogy and things that occur therein. So he doesn't like the dodgy lightsaber fights. I don't. And, uh, yeah, I don't understand that mentality at all. No, nor do I. It's one that really frustrates me because the prequels. And the sequels, I suppose, as well, really lean into the idea that they're like action swords and almost swords and sandals type films. Obviously, not actually sandals and not actually swords, but they're that kind of like over the top sword combat being the focal point of the um, the films. Whereas, if you compare that with the original trilogy, the climax realistically of each of those films is not a fight. It's all character the climaxes are all character moments yes and i think that's why the original trilogy remains so good today notwithstanding the fact that the special effects have aged really badly is my view and if you look at the original trilogy and you look at the fight between ben and vader and go oh that's a rubbish sword fight you've completely missed the point i think yeah entirely right, entirely it's good that we agree on something today it's probably going to be the last time yeah um <laughs> But it's all a, about a strong dislike of the original trilogy and things that occur in it. I mean, that is such a strong saying. Yes, that's a really, it's, it's, it's a really it, weird way of putting it. It's quite something. Yeah, I mean, children, I suppose. What can you say, really? This is the problem, really. We're dealing with infants. Yeah, I did like the you know the term force Skype. Force Skype is good. I like force Skype. Um, that, the that, was, that was a, that was a decent fight. It's, it's not very long. Uh, I think That's it's just because it has they... that gimmick, and you know, it's not—it's not a good duel. It's just that it, it happens in such a weird way. I suppose. That's uh, yeah. I don't really remember it because I've only watched Rise of Skywalker once, and it hurt me on a deep level. But that's the one where they're each in different rooms, and you keep seeing the fl- the fight from the perspective of like you see it from like Ray's perspective, and she and Ren are both on the planet, and then you see it from Ren's perspective, and he and Ray are both on the ship. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the one. That's the one. Yeah, and it's almost like they're trying to emulate um, a sort of born supremacy, born automatism type thing, where like, oh, she's in the office all along. <laughs> um, and the call it's... is coming from inside the house. <laughs> exactly that sort of thing. Uh, no, it's it's okay, it's okay, but no, nah, just nowhere near as good as, as some of the other things. No, I don't think it's enough. Um, really, can we just talk about how much is Rian Johnson paying you? By the way, 
<laughs> is it musty loads <laughs> no i do this for free these are my <laughs> these are my genuine personally held beliefs well if he's listening uh, you have one fan out there in the world um sadly for you he's an idiot that we 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 are many we're just less loud than the wailing neckbeards that i'll be talking about later that's that sounds so unlikely <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which brings us very nicely to what we're doing today. I regret to inform you, dear listeners, that it is another hot take um, by Sean. Yep. Yay. Um, so rather than our usual brand of rating stuff we know nothing about, in a hot take, one of us will present an unusual or unpopular way of looking at a well-known fictional situation. Uh, the other will attempt to sit quietly usually fail to sit quietly, uh, and let them explain their reasoning before inevitably losing their cool and the episode descending into petty name-calling. So since my last hot take on why Aragorn's claim to the Kingdom of Gondor is nothing more than a political coup backed by First Age revanchists went down quite so well, I've picked another equally self-evident topic. So before we get started, any thoughts, any last words? Uh, I think I might just go and play The Witcher 3 for a good 30 minutes, and then, I don't know, if you're still talking, uh, yeah, whatever. You, you you can edit this one and just send yeah. it. <laughs> right. No, I look yeah. forward to this, I look forward to this. You're going to embarrass yourself greatly. Here we go. The End Times, much maligned culmination of Games Workshop's Warhammer Fantasy Battles universe, was not the massive failure and disaster that the Warhammer community would have you believe it was. No. Indeed, it was not. Rather, it was in fact a masterful example of both narrative control and business acumen. And people who fail to recognize this are exemplifying the very worst aspect of both grognardism and, dare I say it, gatekeeping. No, far be it from me to go ranting off about something without giving you, our loyal listeners, the necessary background to be able to meaningfully agree with me. So, to that end... Time for a patented, expertise is overrated explanation of the end times in 15 minutes or less. Now, picture, if you will, the world late in 2014. Scotland's independence referendum had failed on the promise that that was the only way to remain a member of the, United, of the European Union. Divinity Original Sin was changing the way we thought about computer-based RPGs, while on the tabletop, Wizards of the Coast had just released the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons to widespread appeal. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, what we're here to talk about is a small company based out of Nottingham. We're here to talk about Games Workshop. And at the end of 2014, to give some context, Games Workshop was, if not on the rocks, at least not thriving. And, sad to say, a significant factor in that struggle was one of its two flagship games, Warhammer Fantasy Battles. For the uninitiated, Warhammer Fantasy Battles was a tabletop fantasy war game set in a world of, more or less, Games Workshop's own creation. Players bought horrendously overpriced miniatures from Games Workshop, whether those be from the knightly Bretonia, the stoic dwarves, the noble high elves, the savage greenskins, etc. Yes, that's right, I did just etc. I'm not going through every army in Warhammer Fantasy Battles. You've got access to Google. Go do your own research, you lazy sod. Right, I'm not quite sure where that came from. Anyway, where was I? Ah, yes, the many failures of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. So, the system was bloated. Immensely so. 
the barriers to entry were inexplicably high. The rules, completely overcomplicated. General appetite for complex regiment-based combat in tabletop fantasy wargaming had fallen since the height of Warhammer Fantasy Battles in favour of narrative and squad-based games. No, to be clear, that's not to say that no one was playing Warhammer Fantasy. They were. Of course they were. That much is evident from the hordes of idiot on, idiots on Reddit screaming about how Games Workshop betrayed them, came into their homes and burned their collections in the wake of the end times. But the numbers were dwindling. The point is made clear from the annual report of Games Workshop from 2014 that their growth numbers were massively underperforming. Now, just as a side note, it bears mentioning that there are actually people who, in the wake of the end times, burned their own Warhammer fantasy collections. And I'd just like to say that I consider those people to be at the same time heroes and morons. But all of the foregoing just serves to set the stage for the end times. One of the material barriers to entry for Warhammer Fantasy was the overwhelming amount of lore that had been written around it in its 30 years. There were whole libraries worth of it built up, most of it hard to find, Drakenfels, anyone, and even more of it utterly impenetrable and ridiculous. The game had, for better or worse, worse, become unapproachable to new players. Something needed to be done. Enter the end times, an apocalypse-scale event in a world defined by apocalypse-scale events, the war to end all wars, the epic culmination of centuries or millennia-long conflicts. The result was the destruction of the world of Warhammer Fantasy to be replaced by the theoretically more approachable worlds of Age of Sigmar. No, this change was, as you might expect, manifestly unpopular. And yet, I contend, it was not only necessary, but good. I have three core reasons for saying so. One, it was financially necessary. Two, it was narratively necessary. And three, crucially, it was both narratively and financially successful. Now, I may have a fourth point about the mechanical necessity, but to be honest, I don't think I need that crutch to convince anyone of intelligence of the merits of my arguments. In the absence of being able to ask anyone of intelligence about what I've just said, would you like to say something stupid before I really get started? Uh, well, you have me at a disadvantage here. Um, I thought we were talking about The End Times, A Brief Guide to the End of the World, Asteroids, Supervolcanoes, Rogue Robots and more by Brian Walsh. Well, one of us is going to look silly at the end of this. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm writing down some notes. Um, not not on what you're saying, because it's irrelevant, but I'm writing down notes. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, so just on my first point, and I'm going to try and keep all of these points rather brief, um, but on finances. Now, this may end up a little more technical than people are used to from expertise is overrated, so I will try and keep it brief, but Believe it or not, I've actually done some actual research. Now, there's a famous statistic that I've not been able to track down, that at one point, Games Workshop made more money selling cans of Chaos Black spray paint than they did from the entire Warhammer Fantasy range. Because I haven't been able to track down that statistic, I've got no idea whether or not that's actually true. But given what I'm about to say, it feels about right to me. I've, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, checked the accounts uh, published by Games Workshop every year. They're available on Companies House in the UK. You can check this for yourself. Um, and I've checked the accounts for the year ending 2014. 
And they actually make for very interesting reading. Now, Games Workshop had annual group revenue of £123 million for the year ended, um, I think it's May 2014. Now, this isn't chump change by any stretch of the imagination, but that's actually not a lot of money if you're a company the size of Games Workshop. Really not a lot of money for a company with a main market London Stock Exchange listing, which Games Workshop has. Its shares were trading at about 500 pence per share, having taken something of a dip since their 2013 height of nearly 800 pence a share. That's a big dip. Now for the, again, for the uninitiated, that's what we call a company in a slump. A company in a slump like that cannot continue with a product line that's neither growing their customer base nor making them particularly large amounts of revenue. Again, I present you with the fact that, by all accounts, they were making more money from a single paint than they, what they were from one of their two flagship brands. That is, frankly, absolutely batshit insane. I honestly have been trying, and I can't think of an equivalent. It's like it's like McDonald's keeping the McRib going, even if they could show that it just was costing them money. No one would expect that. That's so self-evidently bad business that to even suggest it proves only that you're a millennial with precisely no concept of how to run a business or balance your checkbook. Piss off and buy an avocado. It was financially necessary that something change, and the obvious casualty other than just laying off half your staff, which they could have done and didn't, was to rebrand and update the division that, by all accounts, was just a money sink. The end times was the narrative method through which a necessary business decision was taken. But the finances aren't that interesting. I work with business people. It's my bread and butter. So I took one look at that and just go, yeah, that's what needed to happen. Moving on. But I'm willing to accept that that's not enough for some people. Some people need to feel loved by the companies they buy products from. And for better or worse, many people found the end times to be, and I'm quoting from a myriad of posts on Reddit, a betrayal. No, I think this is a point that needs to be made quite carefully. To be abundantly clear, before I move on to the narrative necessity of the end times, I really need to stress something that I fear is being missed time and time again when we talk about nerd culture. Unless you are a shareholder in Games Workshop, Games Workshop as a company owes you precisely the square root of fuck all. They're under no obligation to provide you with whatever product you think you want. They know better than you what sells. They know better than you what the majority of their customers want. And they know better than you what's best for their products. The only obligation that Games Workshop as a company is under is to generate revenue for its shareholders. Sorry, that's just how the world works. Don't like it, work to abolish capitalism. Gosh, sorry, I've gone off piste again. I feel we should cheer or something here. I mean, <laughs> wow. You're not a communist. <laughs> well, I, I, I make no statement as to the merits or demerits of that being the economic model that we live under, but that is the economic model that we live under. If Games Workshop were to continue a division that was costing them money, the directors, the CEO, all of them should be fired and could possibly be taken to court with criminal sanctions. That's what we're talking about here. Companies exist to make money for their shareholders. End of story. Goodbye. See you later. 
But no, I, I'm, I'm fully in agreement with you, and I think we should talk about this later. <laughs> oh, yes, sorry, I've got completely <laughs> off-piste again. I need to get back to the betrayal that was the end times. No, this is my second point, one that I've already touched upon. The narrative necessity of the end times. Now, I don't know about you or any of our listeners, but for my sins, I've actually read a fair amount of Warhammer fantasy lore, contained as it is in, among other things, books published by the Black Library, various Warhammer fantasy battles, army and rule books, and the general internet nerd space, which I inhibit. And you know what? <laughs> Sorry to say, a lot of it is really crap. There, I've, I've, I've said it. I've, I've uttered the, the unforgivable words. It's a lot of it's just bad. Some of it's fine. Some of it could actually be stretched to not bad. One or two bits of it could actually be called good if you got drunk and squinted hard at it. But most of it is just not. It was also, unfortunately, massively complicated. The explanation of, for example, a topic that we've discussed before, the sundering, takes up far more pages and ink than is really necessary for an event that, other than giving rise to the factions playable in the supposed time period of the game, has no impact on play whatsoever. Finally, the world of Warhammer Fantasy Battles was, sad to say, just too small. One of the greatest benefits of the Warhammer 40k universe, by contrast, the great competitor product that Games Workshop put out there, is that it is pissing enormous. It's, not, it's just ridiculously big. It takes place over an entire galaxy, which gives you, you the player, the benefit of being able to say... Yes, I know that normally Space Marines aren't purple and yellow with green highlighting, but these ones are, because they're from the Xerxes sector that's not explored in the published media, because I've just made it up, because I think those colours are cool, and that just works. Unfortunately, you cannot do that to the same degree with a game that is set in a more or less definitive time period on a comparatively small world. You can't just invent an 11th Elector count. Their number, and thus the colour of their armies, is more or less set in stone by the published lore, and that is just restrictive. And, the tabletop wargaming space being what it is, you can bet that if you turned up at a tournament with, say, an Empire army from Talabekland, but using a unit that in the lore is shunned by Talabekland, for whatever reason that might be, some neckbeard is going to come up to you and say, well, actually, and then ruin your day. And that just makes the game less attractive to new players, which means it makes less money, which means that Games Workshop don't invest in it, which just continues this cycle of failure for Warhammer Fantasy Battles as a product. That's why it needed to change. We've covered it from a financial perspective, and I've gone some way to explaining why it was a necessary step from a narrative perspective, but I think we, we can probably come back to that if you want. But what we need to do now, I think, is step into the lore of the end times itself and talk about the various things that happened in the lore to bring about a cataclysm so big it deleted an entire product range. Now, I've been talking for a while, so I thought it might be interesting for you, Vib, to have a pop at explaining what you think happened during the end times because you're not as deep in the lore as I am, but you've probably come across a fair bit in the internet space about people complaining about it. 
Shall I keep my scathing version of this out for now? Because yeah, I think I think let's go let's go factual. Let's go yeah, factual okay. things. I, I'll, I'll pretend that you've not said anything so far, so the, you know I don't feel quite so angry. Um, what happens in the end times? Um, well, see this this is this is really tough, isn't it? Because I equally collected Warhammer Fantasy, not 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 hugely, but I collected some of it. I owned the rulebook at one point, and I had um, I think maybe just the one codex, maybe two. I can't remember now. It was a long time ago. Is the problem? Mm. <laughs> um, and and now I, I do obviously know that Age of Sigmar is a thing, and I know how they're linked. Sure. Uh, so my guess is obviously, as you try to explain, they had to get from one place to another, and they were hell bent on linking it for some reason. Yes. So That's I exactly suspect right. they. Well, I suspect Archeon, you know. <laughs> mounted his horse and just fucked everyone up. I mean, that's that's the the in one sentence version of what happened. Essentially, um, there's a number of steps yeah. between getting on his horse. Oh no, I I, I imagine yes, you're, I imagine you're so. Right. I imagine so. Uh, I, I mean, he, he probably killed all of Kislev. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. He probably ended up killing. All of the empire. Now I know, and you'll have to you'll have to explain this to me because what the actual fuck? Obviously, Sigmar comes back. Yep. Uh, <laughs> famous sort of weird scout leader who just does shit um, that he has no right <laughs> to be able to do. Um, but he he somehow comes back. Uh, I, I think it involved Karl Franz dying, which frankly, good riddance because he was useless. So, so a bunch of men die. Bretonia probably fell because the peasants revolted and whatnot. And frankly, who cares? Orcs. Orcs are always a weird one. I imagine they just got stuck in. We're really excited. There was many, many fights going on. I know that um, uh, Grimgore... <laughs> Grimgore. Yeah. Grimgore becomes the, a wind of magic somehow. Um, is also the best. And I think Bitch slaps Archeon at one point. I, I can't quite recall. But something of that nature rings rings a bell. But anyway, so it's in the old world. A whole bunch of shit just happens because Archeon's there and he's like, you know, I've had enough of you all. Then I suspect what else happens is we need to wrap up the High Elves, Dark Elves saga. You know, the Sundering. We've talked about it, as you said. Um, uh, I, I don't quite know how they get to this stage, but somehow the Phoenix King is assassinated, or maybe not assassinated, it's not entirely clear. Malekith becomes the Phoenix King. Yep. Tyrion is a bit of a drooling wreck at the end, and I can't quite remember why either. You can you can tell that I gave up on the end times because it's just garbage. Um, Teclis is, is a, a beast, still. Uh, as is the Everqueen. Elariel. Uh, yep. There was also something about Ariel being the Lady of the Woods, or the Lady of the Lake, rather. Um, nope. Something like that, I'm pretty sure. You're not a million miles away, but you're also just wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's you know, as I said, I don't really care. <laughs> no, the, 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 the Wood Elves oh, feature something. So, so what do. they did with Age of Sigma, I know that all the Elves are like one faction, as far as I can tell. So, that, so they clearly well, they, had an they, unsundering. They reshuffled all of the Elves, is what they did. Yeah, which just spits on so much lore, but you know, let's let's not get into that right now. So, so, so they they wrap up the whole elf business because they mm -hmm. obviously want to keep elves in their new new battle game because everyone yeah. loves elves. 
Um, so who does that leave? Oh, yes, all the undead folks. Yeah. I imagine that hands down the best undead Manfred wins out um, because anything else would be criminal. That's one way of looking at what happens. It's not a correct way, but it's <laughs> one way. Uh, I'm pretty sure Nagash rocks up because Nagash has to rock up. They, they yep. talked about Nagash throughout the law for so much. And I really hope that he shows up and is just a bit shit. Sadly, no. <laughs> no, because I, I he's not in Age of Sigma, I don't think. He is in Age of Sigma. Is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I don't know Age of Sigma that well either. I think. But yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll work on that. And I imagine that that's linked into the Empire storyline in some way. Yeah. Because why not? And then, obviously, the Lizardmen are just chilling because they have no enemies in Warhammer Fantasy Worlds and they're just living in, in Lustria happily. Yeah. Until, I, until the moon explodes, which no one still knows why that happened. But um, Very strange. Um, yeah, they, they, did, they did all die. It's, it's unclear how they all died and who they were fighting at the time. But, you know, some mysteries are just not meant to be understood. So, I mean, yeah. I, for... For for someone who, who claims not to know much about about the lore, you've you've sort of hit the major plot points. I mean, I'll dive into some of them in a, in a bit because there are some of them that are interesting and some of them that I think are actually very good. But for my money, the overall arc of the end times actually is phenomenally good, given the aims it set out to achieve. It's this sweeping tragedy that touches every faction, turns established understandings of who and what certain characters and races are on their heads, and ultimately rings home a really important truth that for some people, winning is just more important than anything else. Manfred von Karstein, your favourite vampire, destroys the world rather than save it because he's so wrapped up in his own shit that he'd rather be dead than not in charge. Which sounds completely mad, but we've seen over the last few years in the real world that that's literally how people <laughs> behave. Like it's it, it's a, a phenomenal study on essentially the human condition. All of these characters wrestling to take control of these of their world when they, you know, in in a world where gods, monsters, demons, what have you, are self evidently real, and so any attempt to bring control to to your own life is ultimately futile. I. I I, I, I struggle so hard with, oh, it's bad because, wow, Manfred fucked everything. When if, uh, you look at his character, of course he did. That was always what he was going to do. He was always being set up as this figure who can't get past not being in charge and not winning. And I don't understand people who think that the world ending on such for, for such petty reasons is bad. The world ends ultimately because Archaon, the um, sort of master of the end times, lord of destruction, king of chaos type character, it just just really doesn't like gods. And so the best way he can think of to get rid of them is to destroy their sources of power, that is humans, or, or all the sentient races, so that the, the gods can stop meddling in mortal affairs. I mean, he, he fails, but because Age of Sigmar and Archaon's in it. Um, but it's such a human reaction to the world. You've got other things, you know, the return of Nagash you've spoken about, you mentioned that there, but this is Manfred again, working to bring back this supreme being 
even though he knows it's almost certainly a terrible idea because he's hopeful that in some way he can ride Nagash's coattails to victory. It, even though it's so self-evidently a stupid thing to do for him to bring Nagash back. And ultimately, there's an argument to be made that bringing Nagash back is part of the reason why the world fails. But, you know, all of them are all of the steps to the destruction of the world are taken by people trying to save it. And I think that that's that's all really important. I mean, another thing, again, another thing that you've mentioned that gets held up as, wow, the end times is terrible, is, is the conflict between the elves. And this is actually really quite well explored. So you have an entire book in the, the end times series dedicated to it, to the conflict between the dark elves uh, under Malekith and the high elves under... It's sort of unclear. But you're absolutely right. So at the outset of... So the elves have their own end times mythos, the, the, the so-called Randadadra, I believe, um, where the gods become vested in mortal souls and reenact their almost creation myth, but with a destruction myth bent to it. And so you've got these paragons of the elvish of elvish culture you know imric lord of dragons uh teclis lore master tyrion the dragon of kathik all of these people who throughout you know the various iterations of warhammer fantasy battles have been these upstanding paragons of all that it means to be a high elf and then for better or worse they all just shit the bed and it's really funny <laughs> but not only is it really funny I mean, Tyrion goes completely off the wall because it turns out that Tyrion's actually just like a servant to his baser instincts, which is quite funny. Uh, Teclis is the epitome of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. He sets in place a chain of events that damns creation in an attempt to save his brother's soul, which is a perfectly understandable emotion. And Imric sort of, it's hard to explain what Imric does. Imric buys in with Malekith, his sworn enemy, because he's just fed up of Tyrion's shit, but at the same time comes to realise that actually the conflict with Malekith is the wrong fight. The conflict with Malekith is harming the elves' ability to wage war and defend reality in favour of some petty squabble over a throne that only Malekith can, can even remember. Um, and sure, yes, you can look at, oh, Malekith ends up the Phoenix King and think that that's ridiculous. But actually, the sacrifices that a load of people make to get Malekith there, sacrifices that Teclis makes, that Imric makes, the sacrifices that Tyrion ends up making to prevent Malekith from getting there are so impactful and so meaningful. Teclis puts Malekith on the throne knowing that there's a good chance that Malekith will kill his brother. No, he has a contingency plan, which, as I said, ends up uh, damning reality. But at the same time, he's wrestling with what he knows he has to do because the gods are real and the gods told him what he had to do. Um, in order to 
take every step along this very, very delicate path to salvation. And ultimately, it all falls apart because Manfred von Karstein's an asshole and can't accept being playing second fiddle to anyone. And I don't, I don't under, I don't see why people look at the end times and pick out specific elements of it and say, "Oh, that's bad. Thus bad." Like it has to be taken as a whole. It has. You have to look at it as a as an event, as a as a whole overarching structure. And when you look at it in that light, I, I'm I'm sorry. I just I just think it's really good. This isn't me doing a bit. This isn't you know tongue in cheek. Aragorn has no claim. I genuinely think it's good. I think the writing leaves a lot to be the actual pen to paper writing leaves a lot to be desired. But hey, it's Black Library. If these guys were like world class authors, they most of their published works wouldn't be through a game <laughs> studio's in house publisher. Right. I think Dan Abnett's a great author, right? I think he's really good. But he's not writing for Penguin or Tor. He's writing for a publishing house that exists to promote games workshops products. That's all that Black Library is. Sorry. And it worked. I'm sorry, the end times worked. Age of Sigmar worked. If you look at Games Workshop's accounts and share price today, Age of Sigmar the spiritual successor to Warhammer Fantasy Battles is going strong. It's just announced its third edition. And at close of business on the London Stock Exchange today, Games Workshop's shares were trading at £12,240. That's up 2,000% in the last five years. Those are GameStop numbers. <laughs> Except that's based on sustained revenue and profit growth. The most recent revenue numbers for Games Workshop, which were for last year, have them at £269 million, which is an impressive jump in the last five years, more than doubling their revenue, which is not to be sniffed at. But the really remarkable difference is in their profit number, and that's what's translating into their share price growth. They've gone from an operating profit of about £11 million in 2014, which is not nothing, but not that great for a company of their size, to... In 2020, an operating profit of 90 million. That is insane profit growth. And I submit a lot of that benefit is due to cutting out what can only be described as the dead wood. And that dead wood was Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Sorry. There you have it. The end times was financially necessary, it was narratively necessary, and it was both narratively and financially a resounding success. Thank you for listening. I doubt anyone's still here, mate. <laughs> um, Counter-argument. The end times was not financially necessary. The end times was not narratively necessary, and the end times is irrelevant in terms of financial success. I okay. agree with you that Age of Sigma is a resounding success. All right. Although some estimates that I've seen put it as as maybe 30% of Games Workshop sales. And I unfortunately don't know what Warhammer Fantasy was doing before it was cancelled. But I've, I, I've, I suspect I've, you're right. It's probably nowhere up there. I, w I went digging and I found it really hard to parse their numbers because yeah. for obvious reasons they don't break it down. 
So um, it might it might be, might be wildly off. But what I do know is that 40k is the big powerhouse. Oh, yeah, I think no one's going to argue is. with that. It absolutely and, is. And I think no that's ultimately what led to the demise of fantasies. People like just looked at 40k and like, this seems easier and cooler. And as you say, it's, it's a much bigger universe. It gives us more freedom. Yep. And, and so getting Age of Sigma makes sense. Okay. Actually, and, and I fully agree that companies' only loyalty is to their shareholders and making money. Because that's just that's just it. That's just how it works. <laughs> Sorry, done. Um, <laughs> there is a very technical counter argument to that, and if anyone can make it to me, I'll be really interested to hear. Um, but yes, for for our purposes, get companies' only duties are to make money for their shareholders. Yeah, I mean, if they can afford to to maybe cut a little bit, you know, make a bit of a loss to to maybe satisfy people. I don't know, but you you don't. The, my, the, my, the issue I'm having is. You in no way need the end times to get Age of Sigma. Okay, no, I completely disagree. I think you it do. Is, it is completely necessary. No, because part of the reason for Age of Sigma was they wanted to attract newer players, right? I'm told that Age of Sigma was, at its core, a very easy game. Yes. Arguably I've, easier I've... than 40k, because we can agree Warhammer Fantasy was not easy. No, we, we, can, we can all agree that the rules for Warhammer Fantasy were bloated and complicated and unnecessary in their, in their state that they were when it was canned i'm actually really curious to see what they do with the old world where they go in terms of rules um because they're going to have to hit some sort of middle ground between the old warhammer fantasy rules that killed warhammer fantasy and this i'm glad you mentioned that because this this makes it even worse that they've had that they decided to link age of sigma to fantasy if they wanted to attract new players just fucking throw the lore out they new players don't care as a matter of fact to throw your scenario back at you if I'm a new a, like Age of Sigma player and I've started collecting um, elves and I'm, I'm talking about Malekith and I go, oh, he's so cool. Some neckbeard can come up to me and say, well, actually, did you know he used to be the dark elf against all these blah, 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 blah. And you can bring yeah. up all this other bullshit I mean, yeah. lore that I haven't read because Mal- I don't know Warhammer Fantasies. Yeah. Malekith's quite a, a bad example. I know what you're saying, but he's quite a bad example because he doesn't have a model in Age of Sigma. Uh, is it Mal- Marathi does, right? Marathi does, Marathi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Malekith did as well. No. Malekith is expected to get one in get one, this yeah. edition. He's he's melded with a dragon and become Malerion. Oh yes, that's right. Age yeah, of Sigmar Malerion. just does not give a shit. Well, <laughs> yeah. So Marathi, Alariel, or uh, Teclis, I think, do yeah. have models, right? Uh, Marathi, Alariel, and Teclis do. They're the leaders yeah. of um, three of the four Elvish factions. Um, yeah, so so so, but my point is is the same. If you if you picked any one of those characters, thinking, oh, this is a cool model, uh, you know, whatever, you can run into that scenario where someone goes, oh, did you know they they used to be part of this this other game and and they used to they're like a fucking idiot. If you're yeah. a new player, the, the the fact that it's linked to fantasy is in no way beneficial. So I think the reason that it needed to be fixed uh, linked to fantasy is you needed that core of Warhammer Fantasy Battles players who like, well, it's not even players, it's people who like the models, who want, who want the new models. And I think that link to fantasy is necessary. You definitely can't keep fantasy and Age of Sigmar going at the same time. No, but that's, but that's a terrible argument, because the, the Age of Sigmar models, if, if you're a fan of, well, maybe this is my own bias talking, but then I'm always right. If so you're a fan of the owl... <laughs> No, but that's the thing. If, if you liked a particular model in fantasy or a particular character, it is so bastardized come Age of Sigma. Not, not necessarily in a bad way, but they are fundamentally very different. They are. Like, Alariel is a very striking example. It was actually impossible to get an Alariel model, uh, more or less, towards the end. 
uh, and and she's just you know a model on a square base, quite mundane. Yeah, she's quite quite in, quite in, mundane. In Age of Sigma, she's she's riding some sort of wood crab thing. It's to beetle, it's, isn't it? But a beetle, it, te- that makes more sense. Teclas is the same. If you think of um, the Teclas model for for Warhammer Fantasy Battles, it was just a metal blister pack uh, yeah. that had a had a single Teclas model in metal on a square base, um, and the new one is insane and has a sphinx for reasons yeah. and peckless flies and I don't and, really understand it. And, th- and this is, and this is the thing where I just I just don't I just don't agree with you that you needed the end times to facilitate Age of Sigma being. I think I think you did. I think you needed a reason to port these characters in because there are too many people who No, but that but that's even more a slap in the face, right? Well, it's one many... of the major arguments. It's not, not a slap not in let you, the shut face. up and let me talk. Okay. <laughs> We've not said that in a while actually. This is good. Um the the some of the arguments that I've seen, and I mm-hmm. and I kind of understand this, right? Warhammer Fantasy, as you've said yourself, was horrendously expensive, right? Yeah. And so here you have the situation where people could have spent thousands of pounds potentially, had their armies really thematic, you know, had had Carl Franz there in the in their army as the leader, or invested, and all of a sudden, you know, he gets killed, and there you are, your entire army is fucking useless. Your character, who had a story arc, is just dead, and is therefore essentially irrelevant if you care about the narrative, which that's a whole separate argument, which I'm sure we'll have. Um, and so you'll feel really hard done by it. And then you look over at someone who had Marathi and you're like, well, they get to keep their model. What the fuck? So it alienates parts of the of, of, um, of people who collected fantasy. And, and that's not healthy, I don't think. No, I, okay. I, I will concede to a degree that the fact that they didn't port everyone over was a problem. Um, I think it's really important to reinforce that Games Workshop did not come into your house after they released the Fall of Altdorf and smash your Carl Franz model with a hammer. If they, uh, I, I would have actually rated that. That would have been really funny if they had. Well, give, they give you a free Sigmar upgrade. They, they just didn't. You still have that model. You still have those rule books. You can still get together with your buddies and play. Uh, six-hour game of Warhammer Fantasy Battles where fucking no. nothing happens because it's a shit system. Oh, yeah. But but they recognised that as, as, I, as I said right at the start, a change needed to happen. Warhammer Fantasy Battles was just dying and I think that there's a real I think it's slightly disingenuous to say oh, if you collected Carl Franz you'd have been really cut up if you were a, 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 an Empire army led by Carl Franz, you'd be really cut up if you read the book that Carl Franz dies in. Because everyone eventually read a book that their character, their favourite character died in because they all fucking died. Um, and some of them got ported forward into Age of Sigmar, but not that many. We still don't have a Tyrion model. We don't have an Imric model. We don't actually have an Eltharian model. We've got no dwarf models that are, are, have continuity from like Thorgrim, except for Gotrak. Uh, you've got an Archaeon model that's completely indistinguishable from, or sorry, completely uh, different, different from the Archaeon yeah. model. <laughs> the opposite of indistinguishable. <laughs> um, but we've got new and exciting models. We've got weird, like, tree cow people that are excellent. You've got a Marathi model that is 
miles away from the Marathi model that we had previously. You don't have a Malekith model yet, even though there was a Malekith model in Warhammer Fantasy Battles. They've created all of this new lore, but they needed that continuity back to Warhammer Fantasy Battles so they could say to these people whose Warhammer Fantasy they were stopping was, you know, so they could say to them, sorry, don't worry, we're still making a fantasy game and it's still going to have all these characters in it that you love. You want Sigmar? Fine. Sigmar's here. Sigmar's great. You want Alariel because reasons look she's here and now she's got a proper model that you can buy and it's plastic and it's easy to put together and also she's riding a beetle because we've just gone completely balls to the wall insane and i yeah i no but i don't i don't think you need that you there you need an event to get you there no you don't you don't because you, you, you could have just and this is this is where i would argue the Games Workshop were phenomenally lazy, right? They they knew okay. what they wanted, yeah, which was Space Marines light, and so they made the Stormcast Eternals. Because let's not kid let's not act Age of Sigma is literally just we have made a new Space Marine line okay. that you can all fawn over and buy. No, that's not actually, and they are literally fair. also the ones that are now in this video game. Uh, you know, they're the front runners. They're they're the, they're the the poster boys, much like so, the Space Marines are in 40k. You have the Stormcast Eternals who are just Space Marines. So. Like, look at them. No, let me speak. Yes, the Stormcast Eternals are the poster boys for Age of Sigmar. That's fine. I'll concede that. I don't think that really needs to be conceded. That's just a provable fact. They've got, I think, twice as many models as anything else, which makes them occupy a similar design space to Space Marines. However, there is a really important entry uh, barriers to entry reason for that and that is that they are so easy to paint you compare that to warhammer fantasy battles there was no equivalent easy to paint faction and that's what space marines really have going for them is that your basic space marine is just big bits of flat that you can slap paint on and it doesn't look awful that's why the imperial guard aren't the posters for Warhammer 40k. It's because the little cloth trousers and shit that they're wearing is really actually very hard to paint if you're picking up your first models. Yeah, That's well, why so you, you need five guard to, to have one marine model. It costs way more money. <laughs> no, no, there's there's all sorts of other reasons why the guard are why why space marines are space marines. Um but like you just need no, an no, equivalent faction. No, I know, I know, and I, I get that. I fully agree that, that you know it's an entry level model for it's an a entry point, level it's a game. point of entry yeah yeah um, but that doesn't detract from the fact that they've essentially they are just space marines uh, and maybe this is you know some sort of ploy to actually concede ultimately that i was right and that warhammer fantasy is in fact the same universe of 40k and age of sigma is the time in between um, when that happens i will send you a postcard very gleefully um cool. <laughs> No, but I, but I maintain that you, you, you simply did not need to go from... as in What I'm actually really saying is you did not need to end the Warhammer Fantasy narrative. They could have just said, almost a bit like uh, when you get major software updates. Like, you know, we're, not, we're just no longer supporting this. Nothing new will come out. Instead, what we have here is Age of Sigmar, which is different. It's cool. It's fresh. It's easy to play. 
uh, you know, there's there's some similar characters and whatnot, but their backstory doesn't really matter all that much uh, in terms of what what happened to them in fantasy. That would have, to me, just been easier. And I think that they 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 try to come up with this with this botched attempt to excuse the fact that they are stopping Warhammer by finishing off the narrative, and they just did it poorly. They did it really, really poorly. I'm not sure that I agree that you can essentially leave the fans of Warhammer Fantasy hanging, saying, oh yeah, we're not supporting this anymore, but we're also not giving you a conclusion to any of those stories. Well, make up the, you can tell the gamers to make up their own conclusions. Yeah, but gamers are... fanfic going. Oh. No, yeah, we'll that's have how you Fifty Shades of Grey from... Uh... That's, that's uh, the fanfic, isn't it? Um, yeah, that, that is the fanfic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, don't do that. No, uh, fans are awful. They don't know what they want. Um, okay, no, but, I'm, but just, I'm just saying because 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 the other real issue I have with the end times, as you, as you said, some of the things that I've seen of it, like okay, you know, that's pretty cool, um, and some of the characters they they have interesting mm. arcs, but you didn't you don't need to bring the gash back. Frankly, I think it's, it's, you, it's I unnecessary. Think... No, you only bring him back because you're oh, Age of Sigma, Nagash will be there. I buy think you bring him back. You don't need to do that. Um, but you also, uh, the end times just feels rushed overall, right? So, so either, and this is probably from a business perspective, you know, they, they needed to just stop it and move on. And I think they would have been just better served to say, we are no longer supporting Warhammer. Here's Age of Sigma, go nuts, as opposed to doing this, this fucking calamity that is the end times. So I, I will give fun. you I will give you that it feels rushed. The pacing, particularly in the last book, Lord of the End Times, is really weird. I will I will grant you that. But and I, I think it, it was ne- it was a necessary business decision to um to do to put something out. But do you also get like uh, you do, if, the Game of Thrones could, effect where Carl France sort of ping pongs all over the continent? <laughs> or have, oh, have yeah, there's, there's all there's all sorts of there's all sorts of that. People move. The, there's they there's move so fast. weird weird time dilation goes on. I'm fairly sure people travel from Athel Lauren to Middenheim in time that doesn't really work. But then it takes them like three days to get across Middenheim. It's really confusing. Um, but I. To your specific example, I think if you're having a world-ending level event, you do need people like Nagash to make it to put in appearances. You'd have a real... If you did the whole Incarnates storyline, so this is the idea that um, Teclis, because he's insane, uh, unshackles all of the winds of magic from the Vortex and instead tries to bind them in living or, or like souls essentially so um like Tyrion eventually ends up as the living incarnation of the magic wind of light and Malekith ends up as the living incarnation of the magic wind of shadow and Nagash ends up as the undead incarnation of the wind of death and there's no way that you can have that storyline and have the wind of death end up in anyone other than Nagash because the immediate response would always be, "Yeah, but it should just be Nagash." From from all of the people who complain about Age of about the End Times, they would complain that it wasn't Nagash. He's but he's sure. just 
too big a presence across the whole lore. Sure. But okay, fine. Let's 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 agree. I mean, we're kind of disagreeing here, but let's 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 for argument's sake agree that you need someone like Nagash, right? And mm-hmm. and you do want to draw a line on the Warhammer fantasy. Why then does a business as sensible, apparently, as you've made them look, uh, as sensible as Games Workshop, not say, well, there is a very lucrative way in which we can end Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, now, I, I will admit I say that not knowing how lucrative black library books are, but I imagine it's not very. I don't know if you if you happen to have a number. I, I have no... I have Some of them are New York Times bestsellers, but not many. Okay, um, so that's, that's pretty decent. Yeah, but but my argument for you know would be if they had just been a little bit patient, right? If they had waited two years, they could have started the ultimate story arc, the end of of the Warhammer story arc, by teaming up as they did anyway with Creative Assembly yeah. and producing Total War Warhammer, right? The short I answer think, is- I think Total War Warhammer has made something like thirty plus million. Um, that's probably per game. That may be Warhammer 2, which is obviously more popular, but that's that's that sounds, loads of money. That sounds not a million miles away. Um, the right. short and, answer and, is... And they could have let players play campaigns there and just finish off the universe and, and had a grand campaign story arc there and not bother with this shit that is End Times. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a short... There's, there's, sorry, there's a number of answers to that. The first is that Total War Warhammer was a massive gamble. Um, well, and End Times wasn't. End times wasn't because the the decision had already been made. They were all. But, but that then almost proves me right, which I love to hear, and I'm claiming that um, is that they rushed the end times just so they can fucking finish and move on. Which they didn't. They just didn't need to do that. I see no reason for them to have done that. But anyway, back back to your total war argument. I'm not trying to remember what my total arg- war argument was. We need to stop interrupting each other. No, never. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> The problem is there is slight delay. Yeah, what was my point? My point was, um, so firstly, Total War Warhammer was a massive gamble. Um, Albeit so was the the end times. Secondly, um, you would have had a problem with people saying, why the fuck do I need to buy a video game that I don't want to play in order to have a culmination of my story? Right, because you're always going to have people complain. and, And this idea... All five end times books will cost you probably less, well, definitely less than all of Total War Warhammer and Total War Warhammer 2. Oh, you think? Yes. I mean, all of Total War, all of the two Warhammers will cost you well over 100 quid. With all the DLCs, yeah, I suppose you're not With right. all the DLCs. Well, even just the two games is 80 quid or whatever it is. And it's a trilogy. So I, I don't think that you would have had a satisfactory Ooh, video know. game titan in the same way that you can. You just write because you've then got the problem, right? So if you tie it to if you tie it to a video game, what do you do when the player plays as the Empire and wins? And you've been like, well, because as you know, in Tales of War Warhammer. Uh, the world ended, so now we have Age of Sigmar, and that guy who yeah. was playing a Carl Franz game is like, "Well, I saved the world, so can I buy more Halberdiers, no, no, please?" That, that's that's a fair argument, and that that's for you know 
people who are more creative than I to, to solve. Because uh, the, the alternative to that, of me, course, is... Wow. Uh, the alternative to that, of course, is to have um, the game itself be on rails, such that the world ends no matter what you do. But that's not going to be a satisfying gameplay experience. So, yeah, no, that, that's that's true. And I'm not saying that I, I have the game in mind as to how you do it, but I'm just saying that if, if it was a pure monetary decision, then they, they should have looked into that as opposed to you know, going to the Black Library. It's, it's such a cop-out. I, I, it is, but it's also it's how they do things, right? Because it, it's how they... It's how they're doing the Horus Heresy. It's how they did... Um, the return of uh, Gilliman in 40k. It's how they do any of their big lore changes. They do it, do it through the Black Library. Yeah, so, so the, the Horus Heresy is an interesting example, right? Because I guess they're, they're being written based on what we already have, if that makes sense. That's true, but they're right, also Horus, Horus is dead, so... They're also tweaking the lore. They keep making little changes true. here and there. Um, no, that that is true. But you're right. They're staying broadly within the tram lines. Yeah, they're not just going to bring Horus back and be like surprise. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. They're not. Uh, they they're might not. actually do that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put anything past the Black Library. That would be very funny. <laughs> oh um, shit! <laughs> uh, let me just uh, just looking through my notes to see if there's anything else that I had. Mm, no, I mean, I, I do look forward to finishing off all the books because it, 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 it does sound, as you say, that. but this is true of all Black Library, right? Some books are really good and then others are like, what the yeah. fuck was that? <laughs> I, think, I think that Curse of Cain, so the elf one, is one of the better written ones. I think that Return of Nagash is, is weirdly funny because Manfred von Karstein is such a cackling nutter in it. And so obviously, like, just sick in the head. Um, and Lord of the End Times is good because you've got all these various characters who don't normally re- interact, like, interacting. Like, there's an excellent... I must have spoken about this before. There's an excellent interaction between Sigmar and Nagash, um, which you do get a little bit in Sigmar's uh, origin story books, but not not this, like... It's just, like, a one-line thing. Sigmar... Does somehow like beats the shit out of a bloodthirster, which is really funny. And then um, Nagash is there and rips the head off the bloodthirster. And Sigmar just nods at Nagash and goes, monster, and then walks off. <laughs> and it's just such a like, that was a bit rude, but it's also really, really funny. Um, and Lord of the End Times has Vlad von Karstein in it, who's just excellent, and I love him. Um, the best von Karstein. So I think. He actually is. Manfred is a an absolute pansy. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I think the very last point that I would want to make is that this is in no way a defense of the first edition of Age of Sigmar, and I think that's quite an import, important uh, distinction. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> quite an important distinction to to make. I mean, I think that in its current guise, it looks like Age of Sigmar is a really really good game. Um, it's got better balance. <laughs> it has something approaching balance for a start. Which is is always to be to to be looked for in a tabletop war game, but I ju- just give you a, a sense of what the first edition of Age of Sigmar rules 
included. So one of the characters that you could play as was uh, a chap called Kurt Helborg. And he, Kurt Helborg had a rule um, which read, Pride of the Reichsguard. Helborg's skill is as legendary as his moustache is magnificent. You can re-roll any failed hit rolls when attacking with the Runefang, which is Kurt Helborg's sword, as long as you have a bigger and more impressive moustache than your opponent. <laughs> what? Yep. <laughs> well then. Um... There, there were rules that gave you bonuses if you actually made gave a war cry when charging. There were rules that penalised you for wearing jeans. Like, the game, first edition of Age of Sigmar, as far as I can make out, was a mess. But... That sounds incredible. Although moustache is uh, perhaps a slightly difficult one. Although, although I guess, yeah. Nothing requires, real... Yeah, I was going to say, nothing in that rule requires you to have grown that moustache yourself. Yeah, I can say, so you could you could totally cosplay your character. <laughs> yeah. See, but, but even that little statement there, you know, Reichsguard, Runefang. Yeah, I want to look into that because those are just... Um, those are just Warhammer fantasy terms. Warhammer fantasy terms. You know, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't know... This is the thing I have with Age of Sigma because I, I look at the rules and I look, you know, they they, they look interesting and and I'm, the reviews I've read of of the current version are pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's, it's entirely it's, free to access the rules as well. All the rules mm. are freely available, which I think is a, a, a good thing. Yeah, because you still um, need to pay yeah. hundreds upon hundreds of pounds for the um, plastic crack to play it, so it doesn't really matter if the rules are free. Yeah, although I think it is cheaper to. To essentially get to grips with it, it is. is anything else, right? I think it is, yeah. But, but, but barring maybe Lord of the Rings, I don't know. I, I don't know. Only four models there to get going. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think we can maybe agree that Age of Sigma. We, we certainly we can't. I can't. I can't argue with you about the numbers. Uh, you know. <laughs> at, at yeah, the, bringing out some some actual numbers was maybe cheating. Um, well, no, because I was really hoping to find some sort of stat that uh, originally said that, uh, I don't know, 50% of sales were for Warhammer Fantasy and now 30% are Age of Sigma, which then I could have spun maybe as a as a worsening, although it's probably actually just a strengthening of 40k. Um, yeah, I couldn't find the, any of those numbers, so... <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, 40k is going really strong. I think that that's, that's the real weirdness of this. I don't know what happened. I don't know if people jumped over to 40k, if 40k just got a lot better. I think 40k got better. If you're not an Elder fan, uh, as long as you as long as you like Space Marines, I think 40k got yeah. better. I think that's what happened yeah. there. Um, it had apparently some really weird, like sixth or seventh edition. The rules were really barmy, and that put a load of people off. But it's it's stabilized, and they're upping all of the power levels as well, which is always popular. Uh, bringing back yes. Dillman, you know, making the giving the Necrons people like the Silent King. Just making models for Magnus and Mortarian, so you can just buy them off the shelf, and then you've got Primarchs that you can play with. Um, I think all of that is is really helping it. They're just not looking at the Eldar, the Imperial Guard, really. Not they're getting no love. Yeah, and this is the problem with with uh, increasing the power on the game, right? Because now, I mean, what are your Eldar going to do against the Primaris Space Marine army? Just nothing. Why is that? <laughs> Just you're just hopelessly lost, uh, but the game is in flux, so so it's not you know. Uh, as with all these things, you, you're not going to create a, a perfect thing overnight. So, 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so the tempers have calmed down. I mean, uh, fundamentally, I still disagree with you that I think the end times are necessary. Um, Fair enough. But that is not to say that I, I don't agree with you that Age of Sigma is a success and Games Workshop yeah, did the right thing. Th- those are potentially two two different questions, and I conflated them because I could answer one of them, and so I pretended that one was the other. Um, <laughs> sophistry, it wins exactly. Uh, that reminds me, I think you should, you do owe our listeners a, a definition of a grognardism. No, I don't actually. I think um, you do. I think they can they can come up with what they think I meant and then yell at me for it. <sighs> right? You know what to do, listeners. Go so, to the comments. Just tweet yeah. at Sean. Yeah, grog, uh, grognardism is... And you see it quite frequently in uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It's an assertion mm. that the older editions of something are better, and the newer editions of something. This is how I'm using it. The newer editions of something cannot possibly be as good as the old editions, and anyone who likes the new editions is stupid because they don't like the old editions. Yeah, that's pretty well put. I think. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I'm using that definition. If you understand it to mean something different, then fine. That's pretty well put. Uh, no, and then I think a final question for you. You, you did briefly yeah. mention that they are bringing Old World back. I oh, did mention Old World. Introducing yeah. Old World, so bringing back fantasy. Do you think they'll get it right? Do I think they'll get Old World right? I think it's going to live and die by the complexity of its rules. Because um, I think they're now in a position where they'll be able to make the miniatures better. Because this is the other one. The Old Warhammer yeah. fantasy miniatures were just not great. Awful. A lot of them. Um, particularly the metal ones. But so the miniatures should be good. I'm expecting the miniatures to be good. They, they've obviously picked a time period that they have a lot of potential lore for. Like there's a lot written about it, so there'll be a lot they'll be able to do in the lore space. But it'll live and die by its rule set. And I'm hopeful that they find a way to make people who want square bases happy uh, without taking away from some of the streamlining that has made both 40k and Age of Sigmar better than Fantasy Battles was. Um, There is a way to get back some of the complexity that people say they want without damaging a lot of the gains that they've made. And I think that's going to be absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, Do do we know much about it? it, I'm assuming it's set, obviously, before the end times, but in a particular time period, right? It's set during the time of the three empires, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's quite clever. It, so they can bring back a lot of the fan favorites. Um, yeah, they are compromising Age of Sigma lore as well. So yeah, that's exactly right. So you won't get Carl Franz, for example. You won't get Luan Leonker. Uh, you probably won't get the twins. I don't. You might get the twins actually, uh, Tyrion and Teclis, because I can never quite work out where when the time of the three emperors was. But you'll get. People who occupy Malekith. those spaces, you'll Marathi. get Malekith definitely. You'll definitely Thorgrim, get Marathi. Uh You might well get Thorgrim, absolutely, or you'll get you'll get wolf. a dwarf high king. You'll yeah, get yeah. a elvish Snoring. fighter. You'll get an elvish mage. You'll get a Bretonian knightly king. You'll get three different emperors from the empire who each exemplify slightly different traits of the empire. Um, so I think I think I think from that perspective, they've got quite a lot that they can do. I'm just, yeah, I I fear that they'll f- fly too back, 
too much back to the people who complain about Age of Sigmar um, and miss the fact that Age of Sigmar, the people who like Age of Sigmar massively outnumber the people who complain about Age of Sigmar on Reddit. Yeah. Is my, is my answer. Yeah, I think um, that is fair. Yeah. Uh, so, I think it's, it's a very niche market, so maybe the, the, the marketing boffins over at Games Workshop yeah. can figure out how to make that lucrative. Maybe this is where the 3D printing arena comes in handy. Maybe, maybe. I think I think they're they're marketing to a really specific segment of their audience, um, yeah, and exactly. they know that as well, so they can maybe afford to be a little bit riskier there. But exactly. that's that's a topic for another time once it Indeed it launches. is. I think all that remains to us is to say thank you for listening to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. No doubt we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive. As ever, feel free to let us know. Rate the podcast and leave us a comment or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com. Tweet us at zero expertise. Check out our website, expertiseisoverrated.podbean.com or come join us on our Discord server. If you're lucky, we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes. And if you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. Now, in our next episode, we're retreating rapidly to more familiar territory, asking, in the Dresden Files, what's the worst kind of vampire, white, red, or black? Join us then for more nonsense.